back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for June 10th, 2019, featuring poet Emily Hunt leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Ellen Ritberg, Bonnie Belay, Rita A. Simmons, Azira Azusan McLeod, Jose A. Lopez, Arthur Russell, Kenny Torres, Adam Holabick, Steve Lee Orr, Alan Braverman, Renee Kay, Mike Fresentes, Todd Freeman, Chiara DeLelo, Bill Livingston, Arnav Bavanani, Lisa Gold, Constantine Jones, Jen Azaro, and last but not least, Tim Olds. So, let's get right to the action. Our Yopcast for June 10th, 2019. Enjoy these poets. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing? Yeah! Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> wow. It's definitely June. Yeah, it, it definitely is. You've, <laughs> you've learned well, my friend. Uh, this is the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic. I'm happy to be here. It's June. Uh, it was great, the May 31st event. It's great to see so many of you there. Primarily is great because it's over. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not really the primary reason, but boy, are me and Emily Blair happy that that is over. Uh, if you didn't get a chapbook, uh, unfortunately, we had so many people there that they're pretty much all gone, except for the ones that are reserved for certain people. So you didn't get a book, but uh, the, yeah, we have the memories. Um, <laughs> and if you weren't there, you don't have those either. But I'm trying to, I'm tr- trying to think of a consolation prize. You have the energy emanating from the event. Anyway, um, we are at the open mic. Obviously, I've said that like five times already, I feel like. If you don't know the ground rules, that uh, every poet that is reading up here gets three minutes max on the mic, one poem, three minutes max. You might think that's not a lot of time, but if you're a poet, you know you can do a lot with three minutes. So do a lot with those three minutes. We, we keep everyone to three minutes and one poem max to just to get as many poets up here as possible. It's not just about you, believe it or not. It's also about all the other people and poets in the room. So respect the community, respect the time. Please don't go over. Um, We also record the open mic every month. Uh, We've been (laughs) really going over this. We see Bill Livingston over there. Uh, Let's give Bill Livingston a round of applause because uh, he's got his notebook out. I love it. The reason why Bill has his notebook out is because I will not be here in July. I'm going to be on the fucking beaches of Brazil doing nothing on July 8th, so uh, that's going to be the first yop, believe it or not, that I ever uh, miss in the history of Brooklyn Poets. So it's giving me a lot of anxiety. If you know me, you probably <laughs> imagine the anxiety that's building, so nothing goes wrong. So Bill is going to be guest emceeing in July and has taken notes. He is actually going to practice tonight during the uh, waitlist portion, so be extra nice to him. Uh, but just to get back to the podcast, we record this every month as a podcast that we call the Yopcast. If you don't want to be in the recording, you don't have to be. Just tell us. We can take you off. I'm happy to report we now have 23 five-star ratings on iTunes. So uh, 
That round of applause is for all of you who have uh, definitely put in work. Uh, I'd be happy to get a few more, if not maybe like 500 more by the next time we do this. That'd be great. Uh, we also vote for Poem of the Month every month. Uh, it's very easy to vote. You're just going to text. I now have a business phone, by the way, which is very exciting. I have, I have two. F I got a new phone. Look at this new phone. I'm hoping I don't drop it. And uh, the old phone which, uh, with the cracked screen is over there. That's <laughs> it still works. So uh, if you are going to vote for Poem of the Month at the end of the night by texting 718-374-1953. If you don't have that, 718-374-1953. The easiest way to vote is just by telling uh, me the person's name. And if you just want to like spell it out phonetically <laughs> as best you can, some people do that. I can almost always figure it out. If I can't, I'll text you back. Um, I will go over the names as we go. Just vote once. Please don't tell anyone who's not here to vote. That has happened before we find out. Uh, a couple of announcements, as I already mentioned. God, it's really fucking hot in here, is it not? I went to lower the temperature. I'm afraid something might be wrong with the AC because the thermostat said 58 degrees, which I'm pretty sure is impossible. But I'm going to check again after I, after I get off this mic. Yeah, who knows? Or maybe it's like Celsius, but that wouldn't make sense, would it? <laughs> that, would, that would, yeah. Anyway, I'm looking at you because I figure you know Celsius. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, what was I saying? We have our uh, workshop deadlines this Sunday for Emily Hunt's workshop, who is going to be leading off the open mic tonight, as well as uh, Jay Desponde, not Jay Desponde, Julie Hart. Where's Julie Hart? Julie Hart, also teaching a five-week workshop. Let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> her deadline is also this Sunday. So uh, she's teaching a class on odd forms, and uh, if it sounds odd, it's because it is. You're going to be doing lots of odd, fun stuff together. Um, I probably made that sound really creepy, because I, I, was, I was using my creepy voice. <laughs> okay, I've said enough. Uh, let's get on to the open mic. Before we get to the open mic proper, we're going to hear from Emily Hunt. Give a big round of applause to Emily Hunt. Thanks so much, Jason. Um, it's really good to be here. There's such amazing energy in the room. Um, I'm just going to read, because this chapbook is one long poem, a couple sections from it. And this pulls from um, an experience that I had um, working minimum wage on essentially a um, f assembly line for a flower delivery startup. So I was working very closely with flowers every day, um, had sort of plunged myself into this strange startup culture after relocating to California and starting entirely from scratch. Um, so the flowers became kind of characters to me in a certain way, and um, this poem accumulated. And it's called Company. It's rare to pull a bad bloom straight from the mass without breaking a stem or losing a petal. So we must cut the band at the base, let it snap and then inch the flawed flower out, preserving the shape. We then nudge another into the bunch at exactly the angle that allows for the head to face out and fill the hole. By the second week, they are delivered pre-made a pallet of tall boxes arrives at the square door and the truck drives away. 
We walk over with clippers. We snip each white plastic strip to release them from each other. Often, two of us lean in to cut the same one. We break down the stack, lowering six from the top, then dispersing the base. We pull black plastic buckets out of the boxes and dump the water from each into larger, sturdier buckets. We then pour this down a slope of concrete and the dark splash dries. I often volunteer for this part as it enables me to leave the group for a minute or two to look into my phone with my computer in mind. A lack of air, a gathering of thorns, a limpness, a distance to close, a bent outlier unwilling to lean or bounce toward a more vacant center. My mobile role allows for a trip to the black tiled bank with Judy, a gregarious employee wearing a billowy t-shirt printed with the company's nascent logo. It's freeing to see her laugh at her own jokes in the driver's seat, to run a simple errand and break on the clock the thorough silence with someone who seems at once content to the core and nervous. There's my timer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. What a good example she sets. <laughs> Timer goes off, I'm done. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be quite that drastic, but we appreciate the gesture. Uh, our first reader on the open mic list is Ellen Pober-Rittberg. Give it up for Ellen. Thanks. My play, Sci-Fi, is gonna be at New York Theater Festival, Summerfest, July 29, August 2, August 4. I'd love to see some of my fellow poets there. Payin' to Whitman, 2019. Particulate, particular to us all, the cleaving of and the clasping of arms, hair, thighs, as we connect, intersect, feel dew between toes, surfeited, composed, you on grass, me on dead tree, now turned to soil in Prospect Park amid boulders, old growth crowding out, all except a shaft of sun, Jack's beanstalk, where do we go together? Or I, alone, communing in dark or in dank subway tunnels, the workers warming down canals. Shall we sing huzzas for them? We shall, too. Old Brooklyn, round man, woman, closed metal storefront with a clunk, speaking Polish, spent, worn, three. I, too, am native-born and hopeful, living in words and ochre paint, trolling parks and chittering with birds. Four, new Brooklyn, Men in pork pie hats, women in diaphanous skirts, writers and readers in cafes, facing out open windows or sitting in the open, and everywhere, discourse. Art and clothing hang in stores. Rauschenberg inspired a gloss on the, on the consumer text. Inspired, I resolved to make art from my repurposed pantyhose, <laughs> Lo locally sourced, or 
will remember five, my childhood Brooklyn sandwich wrapped in wax paper to be eaten at school or at home lunchtime or a dime thrown from apartment window my mother by mother, aluminum foil wrapped, rubber banded to pay for a child-sized Ferris wheel ride, truck mounted, parked alongside curb. Six, maybe the lilt of the speech of the worker from Haiti, Jamaica, Nevis, St. Lucia, Barbados, Trinidad, is the sound of the sea as it hastens to shore to make life, stir it up. Crustaceans burbling, seaweeds swilling. I hear their voices in hospital corridors. Some recent arrivals singing as they mop and swish or hum, lute-like, such hope, such piquancy, like their country's birds, the scarlet ibis, the crested caracara, the trupial, some with wingspans fantastical, Mardi Gras floats. But here attend the crows who caviar, cavort, common grackles, their song, a creaking door. Nights, seven. I hear trains horn, a bleat, a lowing, someone's lung expelling sustained note. Walt might have sung had he stayed on Long Island's north shore, where he and I once lived, both walked a hill large, fecund, Long Island's highest point, Jane's Hill. Awash in dreams in Brooklyn, we are a nation undivulged. I take its paths, run like Diana, a barn swallow, orange daubed, looping, darting, scudding along East River, bridges, parks, docks, past shock of purple Paulonia. Yet, it is only morning. Thank you, Ellen. Good energy to start off. It really is no cooler in here, so I'm about to put in a word at the bar, see if we can get some staff help, uh, or we'll maybe just give us a bunch of ice. <laughs> Our next reader is Bonnie Belay. Give it up for Bonnie. Correction, am I taller or shorter? <laughs> well, Arthur. <laughs> I once met a guy in a cafe who I'd seen the night before, and I opened my door to him in my nightgown, and he's, he, I gave him a roll of toilet paper, and the next day I met him in the cafe, and he said, oh, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, not that, not that bad, but it was very funny <laughs> at the time. Okay, Homestead, Florida, Immigrant Children's Detention Center, Memorial Day 2019. Part one, the activist's report. Palm trees everywhere, occasionally orange-flowered frangipani. All the landscaping unremarkable. All the roads straight without variation. We carry 900 letters for the children of Homestead from the children of Brooklyn. Miami teachers have 200, 2,500. The guard says he'll get a supervisor. No one comes. Florida children read their letters to the crowd. The demonstration ends. The letters are not delivered. We have three ladders to see over the fence. We hold cardboard hearts, wave, some wave back. Some make their arms into hearts. The children are not allowed to speak to each other. Touching is forbidden. 
Sexual abuse can be reported through the guards on the phone in the middle of a public room by the ping pong tables. When a child turns 18, they're put into shackles, thrown into the cage in the back of a van, and taken to an adult detention center. If the center is not ready to take them in, they're put in solitary confinement. Part two, the children's report. Some of us are wolverines, caught in traps, all rage. Some prey animals hiding their pain, showing weakness brings death. Some sob all night. Some kids sob all the time. Some cut themselves. At 18, we disappear. Like life after death, no one that's been disappeared comes back. Nothing is home. Nothing is certain. We are completely alone. Three, the upshot activist report. We are on the front page of the Miami Tribune on local TV, Channel 7, Univision, picked up by Daily Coast. The reporter from the Associated Press says she'll put this story in the front of the line. We take our letters to Florida Congressman Debbie Mucrisel Powell. She will read the letters on the floor of the House and into the congressional record. We're meeting Wednesday with Jerry Nadler's office. We will bring our letters. There is too much to do to stop and think. I don't know how this ends. My group meets Monday nights at 6.30 to 8 at the local temple, Beth Elohim in Park Slope. We need people. Yeah, you're gonna have to choose a good cause or another good cause. Uh, congrats to Bonnie also for getting the poem accepted at Rhino. Give her a round of applause. Kicking ass. Bonnie also asked me a really important question today by email. Is it poetry or is it poetry magazine? <laughs> Yeah, it's poetry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kind of just teasing you. It doesn't, doesn't really fucking matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The official name is just poetry. But then another question, Bonnie, is it, is it all caps or is it just capital P? This is the kind of shit that drives people crazy. And uh, that ultimately does not matter. <laughs> the important thing is you got into poetry and or poetry magazine. I don't know why I said and or. That doesn't make any sense. Let's move on. Congratulations. Our next reader is Rita A. Simmons. Give it up for Rita. Thank you. My poem is called The Truth About Hope. I parked at the hydrant near her stoop and stood looking up at the door, the one I used to have the key to when her fingers were gone, her arms couldn't lift anymore. The disease took her toes too, but she was a dancer and knew how to move her weight around, which became less and less as decay took its course. 
She'd sit while I brushed her long blonde hair, open jars and mail. She'd thank me, Jesus, Mary, and all the angels with the same breathy tone. Tiffany, I said, I know you're not gone. I saw her face as big as the house, the two windows, her eyes, the bars on the door, her teeth. When I turned to leave, a car came down the block. The driver slowed to speak to me. You can't park here, I said, certain he wanted my spot. Julissa, he said, holding his heart. I shook my head. He searched my face as his turned red. He smiled and apologized, but I was sorry too. Sorry that I wasn't Jalissa. Sorry that hope had made him a fool. As he drove away, I turned toward the house to say goodbye. His hope was true and a lot like mine. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. Our next reader, I believe, is making a Yup debut. Is it Azira AM? Is that right? Give it up for Azira AM. My poem is called Daughter's Stone History. Do you think I could write myself out of house and home? Do you think I could shake so free and shed my life and lust? And do you think I could stir up dusk at dawn? Do you think I could spread myself across the sands of time and replace my current self with imagery so quick and serene, so infinite, so set in stone that they wouldn't dare question my backbone? I've been stretching for generations, and I want my daughters to stop being so flexible, so malleable. Do you think I could tell tomorrow my daughters and their sanity, my daughters and their humanity are non-negotiable? Hormonal bellies, tired breasts, they sag in contemplation. Should we be perched on history's doorsteps or spilt into sleepiness? Boy, bye. I would not bend or shrink for nobody. I don't care what jewel-crusted crumbs you swing my way. I would not be your what once was parade. I would not be your somber party of one. I would not be your victim or your martyr. I would not succumb to your offerings of unparalleled success. My existence is success. I will not bleed for you. I will not shave for you. I will not tuck in or erase for you. I will not cover up or shut up. I will not love myself less to make room for your angst. I will not teach you how to be a man no more than my mother taught me to be a woman. You dig for your own jewels and sharpen your own tools. I will not be your water. I will not make for you rain. I will not plant any seeds you cannot plant yourself. Will not learn to taste the salt of my own sweat. I will not swallow my laughter for you. I am not your accessory. I am not your ignition. I am not your cape or cloak or clay or any other sea you see in me. I will not squeak until my last breath. I will not mourn the loss of you. 
I will not teach my children to be like you or unlike you. I will only teach them to dig for their own jewels and sharpen their own tools. Accountability is a, and ain't that a shame. I am not your maid, cleaning up generations of shame. I am not your doll on a shelf, not your rainy day fun, not your competitive muse. I will not bring out of you anything you are unwilling to bring out of yourself. Thank you. Good stuff. That's a nice first time here. <laughs> That's the important thing. Our next reader is, is it Jose A. Lopez? Lopez at the end? All right, well, he's ready to go. Get it for Jose A. Lopez. Hello? Hello? Yeah, sorry about that. My handwriting's like really bad. <laughs> yeah, all right. So this is for people who think a lot. All right. Savor my soul for last and watch me disappear before you even notice I'm a sweet mess. The ungranulated sugar that don't bind at the bottom of the cup of coffee from that deli you're trying to finish before work start on the F searching for your face. Doppelgangers welcome, natural disaster, a natural obsession, beautiful disaster, call me a wreck. You can't contain California wildfires live on in my heart. Burn these word, words to cinders and watch them dance and win as this passion immolation over and out into the night sky. Sediments collect on the riverbank. Let me make sure I'm not just in lust. She said it's funny how you're a water sign, yet you hate rain. Flowers bloom the month of May. I'm looking for the right way to say, what could I do to make you stay? Do you want eggs with that? We still got some coffee left from that midnight trek. Silent thoughts plague like winding roads. A cancer, I'm at home in these little river nooks that hide the way I feel about the way you move with such style and grace. Insane insecurities haunt the way I think. Panic attacks, they're on the way. Grab my hand one last time. Guide me to the dance floor and burn it all down at the strike of 12. Wish me good night, all tucked into, all tucked in, turn to the door, sweet dreams. Surrender suddenly to the dark and to the stars. All right, that's it. Steph, Jose. Oh, it's not my chair. <laughs> uh, yeah, just don't hurt yourself, because uh, we have had a chair collapse before. That was that was a while ago, though. Luckily, no one here has ever been injured. I would like to keep it that way. Uh, our next reader is the lovely man who adjusts the mic height for you. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Pretty good. Whoever adjusted this mic really knows his way around mics. It's uh, law school, man. This is called uh, Cocktail Peanuts. What makes you think that the car that hits you will be coming down the street the right way, Sonny? My father asked me. As I looked only west, when we crossed West 34, 43rd Street on our way to see Chicago at the Schubert, he was wearing a wide whale corduroy sports jacket 
with a maroon v-neck sweater over a collar shirt he'd pressed himself. He liked pressing his shirts when my mom was in Florida. And by the time he was 63, my mom was in Florida most of the year. His landlord keys hung from a belt loop on his baggy brown pants. And he wore Mephisto shoes he'd purchased at Harry's uptown on Broadway. His head was bald. He shaved the edges, and he'd lost his eyebrows in a steam accident at the egg factory where he worked for his father during the war. And other than a couple of weeks after his stents were implanted, when he seemed to be grateful to be alive and grew a gray goatee, his face was always clean-shaven, even at the nursing home where I watched his aide lather stretch his cheeks upward towards his ear and shave him with a blue disposable that made a dry sound. If he were going to hightail it across the street, which almost never happened because he didn't believe in hurry, he'd quiet his keys with one hand and secure his reading glasses dangling from a cord on his chest with the other. This was the same block of 43rd Street where we were all four of us, my sister was in New Paltz, stuck in traffic in his black Electra 225 in October 1975 on the way to see George C. Scott in Death of a Salesman at the Circle in the Square Theater while I was on unemployment insurance, writing the first draft of a novel, and he was cross-examining my lame job search when in tight-lipped, throttled rage he said, if I found myself in need of employment, Sonny, I could walk down this very block from 8th Avenue headed east, and I'd have a job before I reached 7th Avenue. After the play, in the elevator to the parking lot, my younger brother mocked me, and I punched him in the arm three or four times as hard as I could. Another time, sitting at the kitchen table as he spritzed ready whip on, a five, on five planters cocktail peanuts he had arranged on a teaspoon held at eye level while the cord of his reading glasses hung in loops shaped just like his jowls, he told me, there are plenty of morons on your mother's side of the family. You should be aware of that. It's in your bloodline. I'm aware of the morons, the rage, the reading glasses on the string, the keys hanging from the belt loop, and the losing of your wife when you're 63. And I also love cocktail peanuts. Thank you. Like if we go, we've gotten to know your father well over the course of these many years, Arthur. <laughs> that was your introduction to Brooklyn Poet Space. So uh, Arthur won Poem of the Year a few years ago for this amazing poem about uh, the death of his father. He seemed much more charming in that poem. This poem, <laughs> this poem, he was still charming, but in a much more menacing way. Wow, what a guy! Um, he'd have a job. In, what was that? Like he'd have a job on like seven blocks or something. Seven minutes? One block? One block? Wow. It's even, even more of an asshole than I thought. 
Oh, yeah. All right. I'd like to see that. We, sh we should we should bring them back and test it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next reader is Sheeran here. Chowdhury. Did not think so. Kenny Torres. Yes, Kenny Torres. Oh, hold on, I'm gonna introduce you properly. Oh, he's already ready. Kenny Torres, is this your debut? Yes. Give it up for Kenny. Yop debut. The only thing more terrifying than performing live in front of, per of a person of like an audience of people is adjusting this and looking like a retard. So thank you for sparing me that because I'm always so embarrassed about this. Okay, so hi, my name is Kenny and this poem is called A Fiend Disguised as Heaven. I see you at age 12, a halo disassociating from a prism of light floating in an ether world of nonsense and fantasia in a state fragmented. Your spirit walked 10 feet away from your body. You were a child in need of a laying on of hands and a psalm to call you home. But lust found you here, came as a fiend disguised as heaven, came through the screen of your life in the form of pixels and pornographic light sprawled over legs wide open, backside and mouth lulling with tongues, moving at the rhythm of your pain, detonating dopamine bombs in your skull that, that brought counterfeit joy from cruising parks and hookup apps. It became a habit that left you addicted to unavailable types and rude boys who desired your slaughter, enslaved you to a hunger for porn and anonymous fuck machines that failed to soothe the velvet rage of that broken-hearted little boy, branded a faggot by mother's tongue, father's eyes, your tribe. And you believed them fiercely, swallowed the whole damn lie till it bore strange fruit of your inner child hanging from a poplar tree like Billie Holiday sings. Gnarled, maggot-covered worm at your root, wearing empty sockets, seeing monsters in other queens whose swish were only reflections of yours. Now that halo, disassociated from your divine source, is calling you home in sequins of light, color, and song. Come home, adorn me again, that you may remember your name. All right, thank you, Kenny. You can read more of Kenny's work on The Bridge. If you don't know about The Bridge, that's our network for sharing poems, poetsbridge.org. I'm always amazed when people don't know about this. They come here all the time. They're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, well, <laughs> go to our website. Click on the thing that says The Bridge at the top. It's like the biggest thing <laughs> on the website. Is Faison here? Faison Sayed. No? Okay, our next reader, I'm pretty sure, is here, Adam Holobeck. He's right here. Give it up for Adam. Adam. This is a new work that I worked on this weekend called Rare Outlines. I wrote this while listening to the Miles Davis album, In a Silent Way. 
rare outlines. Hunt within the sacred triangle, and then another, then another, guiding you through the wormhole. Tumble into the doors of precise knowing, at peace with yourself in infinite chasms. Hold hands in a liquid mirror, smile, sense forgiveness interconnected between your fingertips. Walk through and combine, tripping against stones in layered blind spots. Thoughts now pass me without much noticing. I can pick them out to view in fish jars, then place back. They start to boil as soon as they are back on the cycle, changing directions like red herrings beneath self-effacing lava flows. Frames continue to flow into others, revealing new insights at each stage, each frame a new color, tone, shape, content block. Each frame filled with a bowl of past and present and future oblivion grasping for something sacred. Have we found it, understood it, breathed it, formulated it, turned it to represent its opposite? Be free to stay under the mountain and talk long tales of altered states. Be free to hike many days over the snow into yet another forest, then find it within yourself. Be free to shake out pangs of aggression, slowly fading into slow motion rhythm. Be free to feel accomplished in your spiritual development, for when you understand that you are one with everything, aggression becomes irrelevant. Be free to understand that pleasure is fleeting and will go as quickly as she came. Be free to understand that it is difficult to let go of yourself, for every vision carries the vicissitudes of feeling. Be free to understand gestalt, the traffic circle and white lines, the whole different from the parts, white lines, white lines, white lines fading over my forehead in syncopated harm, car horns blare, signal lights flicker, red light, green light, time lapse flow of people across the street, hovered by blaring lights, street chants, window wipers clearing sweat from my eyes. Then, I heard his voice in a dream, almost muted, soft, effortless. It rolled from his tongue gently into hers, guiding me as skin trembled. But then I was reassured, laying bare amid her frozen image, her smile, her eyes, strands of hair flowing around her freckled skin, her thin lips marked by years of elegant smoking, those lips I remember so well, surrendering my breath to hers as I exhaled and she inhaled. We felt excitement in each other at every moment, childish. We were afraid to go outside in the fear of being suddenly overtaken by desire. That rush in the gut, that pang in the back of your legs, the motion of fingers as you slide your hands under her and she wraps her legs around. Now I was trapped in her full attention and for a moment we looked at each other and the deepest understanding, even if we never met again, even if we lived together in eternity, I would forever hold this moment in her frozen image, becoming the article of pain the mantra of grinding and churning, but the scent is gone. Only visual reproaches remain. I am now just half there, my senses being only able to make rare outlines. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Nicely done. Uh, I apologize again about the temperature. That guy came up here. Oh, that's really high. <laughs> that important guy came up here and did absolutely nothing. He did exactly. He did exactly what I was doing. He's like, "Oh, it's at 60 now. You're good." I'm like, 
We'll see about that, man. <laughs> it's the same. Yeah, you just have to, this is what happens when you, I remember the, the early days of being at NYC when I had like one AC unit that was terrible and when you go to sleep and it's like a thousand degrees outside, you have to stay as still as possible <laughs> and barely breathe. So your sweat is like not moving. It's not quite that bad, but uh, let's prepare in case it does get bad. Our next reader is a, another Yop debut. Give it up for Steve Lee or. Thank you. Uh, this is called Roof Dancer. Roof Dancer, Roof Dancer, you wild sky romancer, lusting for the flight, working out the fight, riding wind and riding high. Roof Dancer, Roof Dancer, move your body to the beat, play the music in your feet where emotions flow like potions in your solitary pose. Roof dancer, roof dancer, you're a monument to Cupid's lancer. You're a feral raging with the world, caught up in the whirl of mixing money with your honey, mixing money with your honey, caught up in the whirl of mixing money with your honey to satisfy your fix with your touch-hungry tricks. Aha, aha, aha. Caught up in the whirl of mixing money with your honey, burning to the fever of the yearning and the churning of the drama and the karma of the temple of your body. Till the last breath you deliver, trace your spirit to the quiver, to the dust that was the dancer. Sweet roof dancer, sweet roof dancer, for you never had a lover left you anything but dreams. Just a thousand shadow lovers dancing with you in your dreams. Ali, 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 and free, ali, 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 and free. They all leave you, ali, ali, and leave you with your lonely, with your dreams. Roof dancer, dwelling on your rooftop, writing pages by the hour, dancing, dreaming, sun and shower, bloom the flower, though your skin gets hard as leather and your body disappears. But the few friends that you gathered, some get deeper in life's lather. Roof dancer, roof dancer, can you kiss these ghosts away that drive sweet love away, make love to the anger? Because the moon and the stars left silver shadows for your eyes, left silver lovers for your spies, your tribe, the stars looking down, raining prayers, that your dancing be a memoriam to the laugh and love and dangers too soon gone early. Roof dancer, roof dancer, lusting for a flight, dancing to the light, riding wind and riding high. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Our next reader needs no introduction. Give it up for Alan Braverman. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back at uh, Poetry Yop, hosted by Jason Koo. I love animals and have a domestic cat and dog at home. My poem is tribute to the diminishing number of animals in our city and is titled Urban Wildlife. Lydia Davis was an inspiration to my poem. I did some editing, so hopefully it's doesn't over, I don't overstay my visit. Sparrows gather 
an army of winged vegetarians marching along the pavement, nibbling at what humans cast away, joined by the omnipresent pigeon competing for scraps until the two-legged creatures whose feet are encased in animal skin disrupt the feeding frenzy, and the sparrows take flight in unison, gracefully landing on branches, aviary acrobats, as the pigeons remain temporarily grounded, a fearless species, while observing stray cats lying dormant as guardians of the tenements, until aroused by the formidable canine foe leashed to its master in search of the right tree to mark territory. Their bins of human residue are four-legged rodents peering into these canisters as edible waste, harvesting the delicacies these rats feasting on the compost or become fair beaters, seeking the sanctuary of our subways, eluding the third rails so the cousins, their cousins and rivals, those adorable mice, the Mickey of Minis of our neighborhoods can take residence in apartments and private homes and the elusive squirrels seen through our windows defy gravity, racing up the city arboreal giants for food, then dancing along the wires like trapeze artists and the rare visitation of the raccoon, the nocturnal scavengers with razor-sharp claws and teeth, urban predators, their, dom their domicile garages and back yards, 30-pound torsos in dire need of leftovers. And the season and this and the season of spring where the white rabbit is awakened from a wintry dormancy sought after by the many Alices in our garden's wonderland and the Canadian geese provide an aerial show flowing in formation and sometimes competing with US aircraft. But the robin redbreast ushers in the season of floral opulence joined by finches, wrens, crows, hawks, and starlings, a Euro European import, while lakes are lakes, streams, and ponds, and are habitats for ducks, mallards, swans, and the glorious egret, its majestic plumage reflecting off the surface of the water, where our rivers and the oceans are teeming with sea life. And many of the wildest animals are imported from across the globe and are housed in zoos. While the cockroach and ants share our living quarters and outside the bumblebee still tries to pollinate in our toxic environment and the spider master of the web before Bill Gates and Steve Jobs while our race colonizes the planet, raping the natural world as trees fall, waters are polluted, the air is carbon footprinted, and the wildlife is tamed or becomes extinct. Thank you. That was such a depressing poem, Al. <laughs> but you read, you read it so cheerfully. It was like smiling the whole time. Uh, very interesting. Is Julie Hoffman here? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's, fair. That's a very good reminder. That was 10 readers. Yeah. Wow, you've been, you've been taking good notes. That was Alan Braverman. Before that was Steve Lee Orr. Before that was, uh, it seems like maybe we have a, a space AC over there. I like what you do. I like the sound of what I'm hearing over there. Uh, anyway, that was Alan Braverman, Steve Lee Orr, Adam Holubik, Kenny Torres, Arthur Russell, Jose A. Lopez, Azira A. M., Rita A. Simmons, 
Bonnie Belay and Ellen Ritberg. That was a lot of A's there in a row. That was interesting. That was three middle A's. That'll, that'll probably never happen again. Okay, is Julie Hoffman here by any chance? Negative. Negative. Okay, our next reader is Renee K. Give it up for Renee. Good. Thank you. Um, so this poem has some inspiration from the Brooklyn Poets Workshop Showcase, which if you cannot afford workshops, you can just come listen to students tell what the prompt was that made them write the poem and write all of those down and get like really cheap workshops. So this one was actually one of the poems that Joe read from Jason's Blink Verse, um, which is a single syllable Blink Verse poem. Um, and content-wise, I am meditating a lot on complex PTSD and how to write about things when memories are not there, this, they're dissociated, they're like out of order, um, and how to convey that through poetry, which normally follows like a narrative or a strong moment. This poem is called, I'll Dream You Well. You can't dream a face you don't know. I've heard yours has changed. Heard I do not know it. Now I sleep you to life as ghost, bound to clouds of stars that hold the weight of all I can't grasp, your flesh turned to an arc with no scale. If day would let me wake you whole, I would paint you in shades of jazz, your laugh the swell that leads the wave, your smoke gold thumb soft on the neck that slopes down to the bridge-bound strings that strung you whole. Your strum a blue fog haze, like the waves of ash that built our old house. No frame, just walls of dust we prayed would last. I catch their taste in my teeth and close my eyes. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Renee. I don't know about you, but I'm like 50% happier now that I feel like it's going to cool down. <sighs> Us humans were so ridiculously dependent on the temperature. <laughs> free will, what? No, there's no free will. If it's hot, you're not human anymore. Uh, our next reader uh, just, I think, took a cool down break. Now he's ready to read. Give it up for Mike Versentis. <laughs> Kissing you is like my anthropology degree. When you kiss me at the party, I don't know what to do with that knowledge. <laughs> this is not an unusual situation. I don't mean the kiss, I mean the part when I said, I don't know what to do with that knowledge. I am always keeping it simple, stupid. Not to brag, but I am exactly as graceful in my affections as I am in my body. This says something about consistency about a wholeness to my being, or it says my affections live in my body, that it's my body and not me that you affect, or it's an affectation to think that my body and me are distinct, or to think that you and me are distinct, or to think. Sometimes when I'm telling a joke, I lose the joke in the telling. <laughs> the setup is when I said, I am exactly as graceful in my affections as I am in my body, and the punchline 
is once I tripped on nothing and broke my leg in two places. The curb and the sidewalk are two places. For months, I said shattered when I meant fractured, as if something once broken can't be put back together. All clumsy with fragile insides, I'm like a china shop in a bowl. <laughs> when I said, I don't mean the kiss, I didn't mean I didn't mean the kiss. Maybe you don't mean the kiss in the same way I mean the kiss, and the next day, maybe you don't mean fun party in the same way I mean thanks for coming. But I think Clifford Gertz means man is an animal suspended in webs of significance he himself has spun in the same way I mean maybe. Thank you. Good stuff, Mike. That was a good break you took. Whatever you did down there. It's like poetry fuel. Sometimes when I tell a joke, I lose the joke in the telling. Oh, wow, that was good. Uh, see, we're all feeling better now. It's cooling down. Got some jokes. Our next reader is Tom. Ta I was going to say Tom for some ridiculous reason. I got thrown off by your Homeland Security shirt. Give it up for Todd Friedman. I think most of you will know what an apostrophe is, but just in case, it could be the punctuation mark or it could be a speech that you give to someone or something that's not present. So that plays a role here. And you'll know who this is to very quickly. This is called Artistic Purposes. An electric impulse takes over the crowd and suddenly everyone starts running. Hats fly off and coattails flap in the wind and God help anyone who can't keep up. This is the frenzy every morning when the bell rings at Fulton Ferry Landing. Then comes the madness again. When the boat nears the Manhattan side and passengers spring for the dock with a four to five foot gap in between. Indecorum, folly, insanity. These are your words in the newspaper, Walt. What a contrast to the picture you give us in crossing Brooklyn Ferry. Maybe the ride is different on the way home. Maybe you have more time to meditate on the seagulls gliding on the air currents and the colors of the sunset to take up, to look up at the heights of Brooklyn and the mass of Manhattan and talk about the soul here. You talk about the soul here and eternity and you seem happy just to take your place in the crowd. But could it be that you've just used the ferry and its environs for artistic purposes? There is a thread running through much of your work, Walt, where you are completely confident that you and we will arrive in our bodies at the appointed moment. And likewise, when the time is right, we will be lucky to die as our souls travel onward. For depending on the poem, we will find ourselves in a rendezvous with God or moving on to the next stop on our spiritual journey, our transfers and promotions, as you call them. And so if we pulled out this thread from your work, many of your poems would spin and flap in the wind. I want to talk to you poet to poet. I, too, have my tricks. 
I don't want to look under my boot soles. I know we all make the migration through the compost that works its way into the food of future generations. But that's not what you're talking about when you project yourself into the future and tell us slyly that you could be looking at us now even if we can't see you. It's okay if you're asking us to suspend disbelief. But I want to know what the real Walt Whitman believed. You can put down the persona, Walt. And by the way, if you were walking around today, you wouldn't have to tell that lie about fathering six illegitimate children in order to hide your homosexuality. It's a different world. Well, yes and no. Human beings haven't changed that much. We all have that evil within and those doubts that keep us awake at night. So when you reach across time and tell us that you too had these aspects and that you felt just like we do when we look at the river or the sky or the sunset, even if the steamboats are no longer on the river and even if we've never been on a ferry, we feel your presence on the page and we reach back in time, or is it forward, looking for you as you predicted. Am I saying that the ferry is just a vehicle for you? I know that you knew that ferry intimately, and your description of the scene on the East River is majestic, though no one would bathe in those waters today. But the movements back and forth on the water, the endless ebb and flow of the tides, in what is what sets the stage for your meditation on the soul and eternity. Nevertheless, this doesn't settle the matter of what you believed. And why do I keep harping on this? Doesn't an artist have the right to portray whatever reality he or she wants? Bear with me, Walt. I'll get to that. You'd be interested to know that after a long hiatus, the ferry is back. It was hard for the company to survive after the Brooklyn Bridge went up. They held on for as long as they could, but they couldn't compete with the bridge. Today's ferry is more of a luxury ride, complete with a snack bar. The real crowds are on the roads or the subway. And to tell you the truth, Walt, unlike you, I try not to make eye contact with my fellow riders Mass transit is not the place where I want to feel my connection to humanity. The last image we have of you, at least according to Allen Ginsberg, is of Karen ferrying you to the bank of the river, river Lethe, where you could purge your disappointment in what America had become. I don't think so. After all, you held the hands of dying Civil War soldiers, even on the Confederate side. We keep looking for you, Walt, because you urged us to. And if we keep conflating the person and the persona, you have to take some responsibility for that, naming a character Walt Whitman in the text. I really look forward to your feedback. Otherwise, I may have been writing a long apostrophe for artistic purposes. Thank you, Todd. Uh, trying to think. I, was, I was thinking during that, I've really been enjoying uh, listening to so many Whitman poems and people responding to Whitman poems. 
And then uh, I got up here and I was so exhausted. And I'm like, am I getting tired of Whitman now? I'm getting close. <laughs> but uh, it's been about it's been about uh, five months of this. Uh, but it really has been great in May. Um, there's a great uh, there's a new book that came out called Live Oak with Moss that uh, Karen Carpenter put together with this illustrator Brian Selznick. You might know him from the Hugo movie. So tomorrow at the Brooklyn Historical Society, they are going to be speaking. I'm telling you about this because I'm moderating the panel. That's another, <laughs> that's another Whitman thing I'm doing. But it's a really uh, beautiful little sequence. He wrote the sequence of 12 poems that are his probably most confessional treatment of same-sex love, but he didn't publish them together uh, as a unit in his lifetime. He kind of scattered them apart in the Calamus poems in the 1960 edition of Leaves of Grass. So they've, there was a scholar that sort of found these and put them together, and now um, they put out a new edition with these beautiful illustrations and an essay by Karen. So if you want to come tomorrow and listen to, to some more Whitman, <laughs> if you're not sick of it yet, uh, come out. It's free. Uh, I'll be there. We can hang out. can not hang out. Just do whatever. <laughs> I'm going to move on. Our next reader uh, is, a, I think, a Yop debut. Is it Chiara DiLelo? Chiara DiLelo, Brooklyn Poet student. Give it up for Chiara. I'm this tall. Let the record show. No comments. I make no comments since that Bonnie You've learned. <laughs> we learn. We learn here. Uh, the best word I could think of to introduce this poem is not one that I learned until I was a grown-up and as like a Northeastern Yankee New Yorker, like I don't come by it honestly. But the word is cussedness. Does anybody know that word or use that word? I, seriously, it's not, not one I was raised with, but this poem is about the cussedness of the heart. It's called Limited Occupancy. The trouble with trouble in your heart is how little it will instruct that workhorse organ, stubbornest of muscles lugging its twin buckets of lub and dub, rhythmic drudge. Won't learn from pain to slip in streams of healing sleep, winter over like a four-lobed bulb, then press with fingers soft and springing. Not the hammer heart, cursed in clockwork, antithetical to rest. Won't trade strife for standstill, is it sense of duty that keeps it pulsing like a semaphore? Your inborn eye with dust kicked into it takes the waver wide open, knows the blink inherent to the view. Salt meat heart won't hear its precious, will tell you to drop and trawl its silted wells dark and deeper, will hand you a blade and say which hours to serve up on its cold plate. I was told choosing you is a sacrament the kind of holy you can count on, like footfall or new leaf. Give me that begrudging beat, its hiss like green wood in the hearth. Tell your unstrung heart the grace of cracked open things, like this minute that shines as it flounders, real to the gills and scales. Let it come knocking its muddied murmur, familiar and not, first and last of its kind. Thank you. Thank you, Kiara. That was awesome. Is that your first yop open mic? All right. Give another round of applause. Give another round of applause to Kiara. 
Our next reader is, is Lori Murphy here? I don't think so. Negative. Okay, well, so now what's going to happen is our Yopper of the Year, Bill Livingston, is going to read, and then he is going to take over, which is going to be so nice for me. I'm just going to kick back there. So uh, give a warm welcome to Bill Livingston. Keep it going for Jason. Keeping it real up here. Okay, this is about a coffee shop and the satanic couple that lives upstairs. <laughs> no judgments, it's an imagination. It's called Engine Company Number 12. As the new mothers nurse their infants with caffeinated breasts and others jockey for precious tables in the shiny new cafe, through the din of the frother, the midnight archers above slumber in artificial darkness like vampire bats behind designer curtains, well-appointed curtain rods made of medieval spears, fatigued from diabolical diabolical fucking on the pentagram floor. Candlelit asses dripping with sweat and fleeting shadows mingling with the ghosts of smoke eaters past. A fire never to be extinguished. A ritualistic marriage maintenance all in the name of the dark prince. The black cat looks down at them approvingly from a bookshelf filled with tomes of the dark arts Anton LaVey, Salman Rushdie, and Vonnegut. Closes its striking amber eyes in ecstasy, licks its paws to clean itself of what I ask. Now look up from your cappuccino to the skylight in the back room, the bottom of their reflecting pool. Witness their nude shadowy forms through the skittering black coy as they unquiver their arrows, cock their bows, and let loose at their targets, guided by the hand of a lesser god, all before their morning coffee. Thank you. And now we get to our waiting list. My lovely assistant, Jason. Thank you very much. Oh, let me read the um, the last poets that read. Uh, that was me, Bill Livingston. Um, and then it was Chiara DeLelo. Chiara, sorry. Todd Friedman. Mike. Frasenis, <laughs> Sarah Lynn Rogers, uh, Renee K. Well, her name's not crossed out. <laughs> Judy, <laughs> Julie Hoffman, uh, Alan Braverman. Okay. <laughs> Please vote. No collusion. All right. Okay. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage Arn Arnov Bananami. Bananami. Yes, please. Come on up. My dad named me as a joke, so. Um, <laughs> I don't have a title for this, and I wrote it over there. Um, this is after I took a class with Terence Hayes once, and he's probably one of the least neurotic poets I've ever met in my life. And he was super fun to have a class with. 
And so after the class, I had some lines that I wanted to use, and so I just rubbed something together. Okay. Dear Terence, I would like to be too much for this. I'm not yet good enough to burn out at the last second, and so I was wondering if you could give me a spoon from the drawer. No, not a fork. I'd rather balance an egg than capture it. If the situation arises, I would be willing to stop, cock, shoot my eyebrow, sun shining down a rabbit hole. I imagine there are many eyes blinking furiously for this magnificent canopy. I know that I know that to them this face would mean night or an anteater, and they needn't be afraid of either, but turns I wonder if sin collects in sediments. I would like to, I would like to share without sharing and be a memory of the sky behind me. I wonder if you ever learned to punch a tree so hard it closed its eyes. Mm. Or stared down the barrel of a gun and wished you were the bullet so you could catch that straight thought. I figure if I dig as fast as I pray, I can make it. And if I do arrive, I don't think I will have to choose the shape of dark around my silhouette. And again, I wonder if I will be able to tell. Thank you. Thank you, Arnzov. Arnov. Killing it up here. It's like an audition. That I'm failing miserably. <laughs> this is an easy one. Please welcome Lisa Gold. Yeah, a little shorter, thanks. Okay, hello everybody. Uh, thank you. Uh, this poem doesn't have its own title, but it's the first in a series called Undress. They always tell you to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Why the shoes? Why not the feet? The shoes we see, but the feet take the beating, they feel the strain and the pain of the weight we all bear in numerous fashions. Mine especially, because I don't trust how shoes lie. Shoes hide how dewy the grass is each morning and how that dew becomes frost just before winter hits and every step leads to a whispering crunch. Shoes hide the burn of black asphalt children feel during recess. Shoes hide the sharpness of weeds in a burgeoning garden. Shoes hide the small rocks that would have stuck themselves to the bottoms of your feet as you're playing on a dirt soccer field. The feet are the truth. Feet tell you when the grass has a happy belly full of sunlight because you can feel its softness with every step. The scars from burns and tattoos and bee stings tell a story of doubt and persistence in the path taken. Calluses speak loudly of trials and triumph from years of hard work, of teamwork, of loving work, from years of running towards a destiny unknown, from years of running from childhood fears, from years of walking contentedly, arm in arm with sisters, and believing that every mile is good for your heart, your strength, and the world beneath your feet. I will say it again, the feet hold the truth. Why do you think they teach girls to wear heels, to wound us in ways we are slow to heal, to reshape the way we walk in the world, to take us those six inches away from the truth that is bare feet and earth? Sometimes that truth hurts. It's a pavement we pound on the way to a job we don't like. It's a first steps out of a room, away from love, unreturned. 
It's the bunions and breaks and bruises undeserved. But I believe that your feet, that my feet, are beautiful. So please, take off your shoes and come inside. Our bare feet are just the beginning of the story. Thank you, Lisa. Awesome. Uh, this is a real treat. Um, coming up to the stage is one of the winners of the Whitman, Whitman Bicentennial Poetry Contest. Please give it up for Constantine Jones. Happy Pride, y'all. I wish that I had a gayer poem to read, but I will do my best. A note on the text. <clears throat> Oriste is one of the most useful Greek words. You can say it as an offering. For example, when you set food down in front of someone, you can say, oriste, as in, there you are. Or you can say it when asking someone to repeat themselves. For example, when you didn't catch what your mother just said, so you can say, oriste, as in, sorry, ma, I didn't hear you. Or you could say it as an invitation for someone to speak. For example, when you pick up the phone and you already know who it is that's calling, so you say, oriste, as in, get on with it, what's up? <laughs> or you could say it, when you go to Greece over the summer with your family, and they all speak Greek because their parents spoke it to them as children, and because they didn't do the same for you, you have to rely on them to get around. And so, out of pure resentment, when they take their afternoon nap one day, you stomp out in the hot sun to a Santorini villa to meet up with a boy named Nikos, who sent you his location at the internet cafe. And when you sit on his bed before pulling off his neon yellow Nike shorts with your teeth, the whole time wondering, does he know that Nike is named after the little winged goddess on Athena's palm? You will tell him you are Greek too, but from America, and he will look at you and go, Oriste? Because Tennessee isn't a word he would know, and besides, you are trying to say this to him in English, but all you can think to say is, I do not speak Greek, only you do not know how to say even this. Thank you all. Thank you, Constantine. Good stuff. Coming up, please welcome Jen Ozero. Good. Thank you. Um, Constantine, I thought your poem was beautifully gay. Okay. Um, this is this is called This Poem is for Sarah. You like stories, and there's this one. When you're next to me, you can fall asleep peacefully, my hand on your hip. I'm not sure you really understand what a big deal you are to me, but I'll try to tell you about it. You are what I was always looking for, navigating the broken lines and the gaps between the span of a child's to adult's desire I managed only by looking down. It was a long time before I looked up. A semi-secret lesbian. I didn't really know what that word meant. When I found out, I didn't want to say the word out loud. I just knew what I felt. I had a dream. It was a wish, actually. 
that when our paths crossed, we wouldn't turn away. It was that I could love you and I'd be loved in return. I needed to know I could rest with you. The gnawing worry would stop. I knew you wouldn't be looking over your shoulder for something better. I would be enough. Even now, writing that down brings the lump back into my throat. I would know what it felt like to be allowed to open my heart in return when it had always tried to violently snap shut over and over in terror. Don't you know by now? You ask me often, all of you pouring out of your deep-lidded, almond-shaped brown eyes. I want to go down on my knees for you, not in supplication, the opposite, in celebration, yes, and to feel the ground beneath me again, to drink you in over and over. We're 12 years in now, and certainly we've had moments when we've put up our hands in the air, our white flag, our white hands, white flags of confusion, of sorrow and sad foot-dragging surrender. Let the struggles and the sad times and bad memories fall away. We don't need them, even if they try, hanging around like bloated man-o'-wars. Yes, I know we are both vulnerable still. Those tentacles hidden below the surface can burn the shit out of you. I know we're not done with the work, but we've never been strong, been braver. Thank you, Jen. Uh, we're going to move right along here because we all want to get drunk, don't we? Uh, my favorite flower, please welcome Daisy Cox. We're done. <laughs> oh. Oh, the next one. Uh, uh, come on up, uh, Tim Olds. There we go. <clears throat> Our final poet for the evening. Hey, thanks, Bill. This is, I'm sure, a lot harder than it looks. Uh, but I think you're doing a great job. But my my name's pretty easy. Thanks, Arthur. Uh, so I'm going to read a poem about peaches. It's about peaches. So uh, here's peaches. <laughs> it's not just the subtle scent declaring ripeness, but the give of wet flesh to lips. Bitten just barely, the yielding to a tongue tip as it digs, digs for the pit. There's no way to eat something half this sweet without consequence. Face and fingers sticky with juice, wanting more after the season ends, dreaming, dreaming, next summer. Thank you. Okay, I am back. Uh, give a round of applause to Bill Livingston. This is not easy. Uh, I'm sure at my first open mic, I was freaking terrible, but... Uh, Definitely be out here to support Bill in July. I'm not. I'm not saying that Bill was fucking terrible. I'm saying, I'm saying I was fucking terrible. Well, he might. He might. He might have screwed up a couple names. Don't insinuate my condescension. <laughs> Don't assume I'm saying things indirectly. No, I love Bill. Bill's gonna do a great job in July. Be nice to him. Help him out. 
Um, okay, to review the readers, we had 20 readers. Uh, we sweltered through it. Is sweltered even a verb? Probably. I'm not sure you can use that the way I did, but let's hope. That was Tim Olds. Before that was Jen Ozero. Before that was Constantine Jones, Lisa Gold, Arnav Bhavanani. And back onto the regular list, Bill Livingston, Chiara DeLalo, Todd Friedman, Mike Fresentes, Renee Kay, Alan Braverman, Steve Lee Orr, Adam Holabek, Kenny Torres, Arthur Russell, Jose A. Lopez, Azira A. M., Rita A. Simmons, this is the fun part, Bonnie Belay, and Ellen Ritberg. All right, so that was all 20. 718-374-1953. 718-374-1953. Just text me the poet's full name, last name, as close as you can get. Uh, we will be back here on, I think it's July 8th. It's after the July 4th holiday. I do not yet know who will be leading that yop. That information will be coming soon. One of the many things I'm going to be doing this week. Um, I will not be here. Be good. Be good to each other. Don't break anything. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> it's like, I feel like I'm leaving the house and all the children are going to fucking party or something. It's going to be a kegger up in here. Uh... Thanks for coming. Thanks for sticking it out through the heat. Uh, big round of applause for Emily Hunt, a professor, for leading a wonderful workshop and giving a wonderful reading. Emily does have a couple books for sale in the back. You can talk to Arnav. Uh, and oh, also, this Thursday, we'll be back in this room. It better be fucking cooler in here. We have a reading this Thursday. Uh, Derek Mung, a poet coming all the way from Indianapolis, will be here. And uh, Sally Menwow. We'll be here. Wait, did I just fuck it up? Sally, when Mao will be here, and also Layden Osmond will be here. So it's a fantastic lineup that we have. It's free. Doors open at 7:30. We'll prob probably begin around 7:50, 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll be right back here, and <laughs> we'll be right back here in three days. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, good night. Go Raptors. So, there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yup open mic for June 10th, 2019. Thanks to our new professor, Emily Hunt, for leading a brilliant workshop involving the use of uh, frogs. Uh, you couldn't see it in the workshop because the workshop's not recording, but uh, showed some incredible videos of uh, frogs among other animals, or maybe it was just frogs, uh, moving around, doing some erotic things, and... Uh, the people present wrote some amazing poems in response to those frogs. Uh, very excited about what Emily is teaching for us this summer, a workshop called Influence in Both Directions. Just now underway, uh, so you can't sign up for it anymore, but uh, she will be offering workshops in the future that I'm sure you could sign up for if you are so inclined. Congrats to newcomer Azira Azudin McLeod, hopefully I'm pronouncing that name correctly. She went by Azira A.M., for the open mic, she has won our June Yop Poem of the Month for her poem, Daughter Stone History, and earned a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on December 9th. Not too far away now. We're about half the way there. Uh, we will be back in July. I will not be there because I will be uh, in Brazil, as I mentioned, during the open mic. But on July 8th, you will be in good hands with uh, longtime Brooklyn Poet Professor Jessica Greenbaum 
who will be leading the yop and kicking off the open mic. So definitely come out for that. You can sign up at brooklynpost.org. If the advanced sign-up is full, which it definitely is already, you can sign up for one of five open spots at the beginning of the night to show up early for the workshop, and you can do that. Uh, okay, that is all. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all of you who are rating us on iTunes. We do appreciate it. It helps us reach more listeners and helps uh, really spread the word about all these amazing poets who come to our open mic every month. Uh, hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying your summer. The weather is finally good in New York City, not raining too much, and everything is good, at least temporarily. You know, not in the grand scheme of things, but you know, in this private little world of my podcast that I'm recording right now. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, till next time.